if a person did have cookies and I'd now given them cookies, are you reminding them that they now have cookies that they didn't have before? Like, they have cookies. I know you want oatmeal cookies now. You want gluten-free cookies. But you have cookies. <laughs> How would your world be if I took the cookies away again? Exactly. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Sales Strategy Enablement Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcox, CSRO here at Revenue.io, and I'm thrilled to have back with me Chris Ruderoff, the CEO of Sendoso. Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be back. And we had such an exciting conversation last time around top of the funnel, enablement, multi-channel buying, you know, and, and how gifting and engagement and the buying rooms grow and all of that. But one of the key things that we we didn't get time to get to, which I'm thrilled to have you back and dive in deeper on, is what about after the sale? Yeah, and we always worry about the front of the sale, but we never worry about after the sale. You know, I'd love to dive in there this week with you and and just get your thoughts on that, especially as companies, you know, eighty percent of their growth is they come from customers you had. Yeah, and yeah, we always pour all the money into that, and even in a recent Forbes article. Just on a newswire that came out, they reported that despite the rising costs, 68% of marketers surveyed report the direct mail budget allocation has either increased or stayed steady year over year. And that's surprising to me when they sit there and I think they're only thinking the top of the funnel. They're not thinking of marketing. How do I apply this after that? Mm-hmm. How do I go drive expansion, cross-sell, upsell? And, and I think it's a big missed opportunity in the market right now. What's your thoughts? I 100% agree. I think for a while, demand gen was just highly focused on that top of funnel building pipeline, building MQLs. And, you know, there's a bit of a resurgence on marketing teams thinking about how do they focus post funnel. I think even with ABM, you know, as part of ABM, there's an expand part of ABM, but I think that's overlooked a lot of times for the build your target lists, engage your target prospects when you should be running ABM to your existing customers too. So I, I definitely agree that I think it's been overlooked, but in, in you know, maybe recent, this recent year, at least it, it's getting more and more uh, awareness. Now, so ABM is interesting. So account-based marketing is what we're talking about for those that aren't familiar with the term. You know, ABM can take on many forms, right? You can often see it in a one-to-many all the way down to a one-to-one. You can see it by verticals, all of those things. And I agree. I think it's a process that is, very important to continue after the sale. Yes, exactly. Because you the, the the words I like to use, you know, it's you sold somebody in most cases on solving a problem. Hopefully you did, at least. Right. Yeah. Now we went and sold and we and they're, they're off and running. <laughs> we handed off to implementation. We hand off to support and they're doing their thing. Customer success maybe follows up with the customer once a week or has drop-ins and stuff like that. But correlating back to say, are you realizing the value out of what we bought are you realizing value against the problem you bought us for and value realization in abm is one of the you know that's that's a huge opportunity right because now i can market Mm -hmm. and go to those accounts and say look your competitors are getting this value we want to make sure you are getting the intended value you did out of this account cs teams should be using data to make sure value is being driven out of that. And even then I think of 
once you've done that basic foundation, and I'm going to use Sendoso as an example here, cross-selling, not just upselling, cross-selling into a new division yep. requires us to create exposure into those accounts. Exactly. So now I have data that I, and it shows me they realize value. How do I get access? How do I push on that piece? And I think the access piece is really yeah. important. And for, you know, a lot of customers, there's a world where, you know, there's an employee, your, your champion leaves, you've got to almost resell the account or resell the value. And so again, it, you know, some of the same top of funnel sales tactics of grabbing attention, you know, understanding problem pain points and getting that value across needs to be reinstilled in some, you know, customer success and account management teams as they are refinding new champions or cross-selling to new champions. And so, yeah, uh, that's, uh, you know, ties into where, you know, we at, at, at our customers use gifting as part of that. Yeah. How do you reestablish new champions or how do you expand into other champions or how do you celebrate and incentivize product usage, referrals, community, a lot of those things like are interesting topics still. So, so on that, you know, I, when I, my head goes to, I think of pharmaceutical sales, the pharma industry has perfected account transitions and yeah movement of reps better than almost any industry, right? And they, for years, long before all of the digital, have always been very good about literally gifting to the doctor, it is. especially in America, to drive a commercial change, to drive a rep change and support yep. that. Saying, hey, look, here's, here's so-and-so this new. It's about, I, I come bearing gifts, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, or the old adage, they'd never show up to a meeting without something for the recipient in some way. Now, tech, financial services, and other industries, I get a bit of a laggard on that front, right? Gifting has tended to be just, as we discussed last episode, top of the funnel. It's never really been thought in terms of relationship transitioning, personalization in that way, and the enablement piece of driving access. How do you think about that? Are the farmer people doing it right? Should we be doing more of that? And how do we justify both the expense? How do we justify the, the kind of more heavy manual process there? Is it worth it or do we just keep charging ahead with, we'll send an email, introduce somebody and jump on the Zoom? Yeah, I, I think uh, Farmer nailed it. And I think you've got to build rapport. And I think for the last few decades, a lot of tech, financial services, et cetera, really relied on email as the sole communication channel and as the sole way to build rapport through email. But we, I think we've... Ex- seen time and time again that that channel is becoming more and more inundated with emails. And so you've got to diversify a bit. You've got to be creative and use other channels. And that's where, you know, building rapport through gifting and through offline and through in-person really adds additional layer of value. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. The, you know, the, the email piece of it is just waning in success, right? All of the numbers are down on that, they continue to drop down. And well, Chris, I, I'll put you on the spot and I'll give you my answer first. Yep. You know, I'm, I get several hundred emails a day. I delete 90% of them. And even for that, even if you can get to me, you know, I have a marketing email that people actually go into. And then I got my primary one, the people that I actually want to connect with. Yeah. Right. And, and, and a lot of, I think, especially senior buyers have that kind of set up as well mm-hmm. because they, they just can't deal with the noise. So yeah. You have to figure out how to get to these people without the, the idea that I'm just going to email to them. And and I know an ABM expert, so you ask, but that's multi-channel. Agreed, it's multi-channel. We want to hit up to a five, six different channels. Yeah. But at some point, 
you need to create a condition for me to engage. And that's the physical pieces making that resurgence. I just, I think that's in person. I think there's a bunch of those other pieces and you got to figure out how to light up that channel more than we've ever done before. And I think that's more expensive. So that's where you got to be selective. And I think it's at the right moments too. So going back to the, you know, post-sales cycle of your sending a customer welcome kit, uh, your building rapport from day one, or if somebody just added their 100th user to your platform and you send them something as a thank you, you're kind of building that habit or you're building that muscle memory that, you know, they're incentivized to do stuff and they are rewarded and they're excited and willing to share that or they're taking action in your community and you want to reward those actions or even for a salesperson listening who they sign up a customer, that customer's likely, you know, got a maybe, you know, 18 month to, you know, maybe 36 months tenure at that company and then maybe move on to another company is gonna be a buyer again. How do you, you know, send something a year in or as a salesperson, remember that's their birthday and a life moment and send them something just to keep that relationship alive. And so I think that's also uh, really critical is how do you keep relationships alive for long periods of time? Post sales, one hundred percent. And there is, if if Howard can join us, David, to show coming out of the world of psychology, which when we are very big into the yeah psychological methods of driving engagement and supporting buyers. And one of the things that I think people often don't do well, and again, we're talking post sale here, is what's called the endowed progress effect. So the endowed progress effect, for everybody to be aware, is the psychological technique where people are more likely to complete a process if they believe they've already made some progress towards the goal. It is. And it stands from the idea that artificial, you know, how do you drive artificial advancement towards the goal or at least recognition of the goal? So now think I've maybe transitioned an account or I'm one year into a two-year contract. And wouldn't it be great to go engage with more buyers in that buying group because you probably had your CS team kind of just running along. Yep. They're probably at the ops level working with the day-to-day practitioners. And you, you know, we probably haven't had enough senior engagement that we need to start to set the stage for the renewal process and everything else needs to happen. So we're, we're 50% of the way through. Using the endowed progress effect, what I can do is I can actually reach out to that person and I can tie back value realization. We spoke up and say, you are this percentage towards the goal you bought our platform for or you bought our service for. Yeah. Here is a thank you to say we're 50% of the way there. I'd love to also now meet and map out how we're going to get to the rest of that goal and achieve the other 50% mark. Exactly. That's a very interesting way to use a gift to open the door. But if you've tied in context using the Dow Progress Effect to create the condition to go, well, of course I want to achieve the other 50% of the yeah. goal. So what ideas do you have, Chris? Let's meet. Exactly. You nailed it. That's a perfect, perfect use case. Yeah. And and I think that's the, it's the extra step that people need to take as I think of the sales strategy and the enablement side of before we just send and think that a, you know, a Yeti bug is going to do it. It's it's the context behind that, right? Like, sure, everybody loves to get a Yeti mug, I suppose. But sorry, I'm picking on Yeti. But the okay. you know, is is the context that goes with these things. Um, or another great one I love is loss aversion. So loss aversion is Tversky and Kahneman, uh, where the psychologists came out this, which is where you help people feel the pain of losing something. Mm-hmm. 
more intensely than the pleasure of gaining something of equal value. So again, in a post-sale, you know, we're always focused on more value, more value, more value. And you get a lot of feature requests. And I, and I deal with this in our company. And often I'm like, but hold on. If a person didn't have cookies and I've now given them cookies, are you reminding them that they now have cookies that they didn't have before? Like, they have cookies. I know you want oatmeal cookies now. You want gluten-free cookies. But you have cookies. <laughs> How would your world be if I took the cookies away again? Exactly. Right? I, that, that loss aversion is key. And then driving a step that says, look, this is something that is, if this happened to your company, here would be the negative impact. By the way, I am here as your representative in CS or the new AE to help ensure we do not appreciate that loss again. Now let's talk through how we can accelerate to de-risk you even further based upon what's going on in your business. Loss aversion anchored around the motivation of something that's personalized, unique to drive the conversation so it doesn't feel so salesy. And then go meet. I think it's just tactics people could use really well. I think that's perfect. And one of the things you mentioned earlier that I want to bring back up is like there there is cost. This is can be expensive, but because of that, there's a scarcity and there's you're you're not gonna get, you know, a thousand Yeti mugs sent to you because that's impossibly expensive. And so there's a more of a selection process, a selection criteria of who gets sent what. And because of that, it preserves the channel and it preserves the you know, kind of scarcity effects. So you're not just going to get a million Yeti bugs as like you are going to get a million emails. And so that yeah. even further drives kind of the effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Scarcity's tried and tested true. It works really well. Yeah. A hundred percent there. So post-sale side of this, Chris, what are you seeing this working exceptionally well? And can I, have you seen any data where you've seen it's resulting in so much more sales or better retention? Like, have you seen anything there that you could, we could point to for our listeners? We've definitely seen in supporting data as it relates to kind of a land and expand motion and and breaking into new contacts or new departments and, and expanding sales. So similarly, you'd expect that to work if it works top of funnel for an SDR, you, you know, an AM trying to break into new accounts or or new teams or business units uh, will work effectively. So I think that's a no-brainer. Um, but we've seen it work for other, you know, parts of the customer lifecycle, whether it's, you know, graduating from onboarding and again, giving them something that they feel like they're completing something, they're going to be celebrated, you know, sending them a gift or even a little you know, trophy at times, like those types of things just make you feel successful and make you come back for more. We've also seen community engagement get rewarded using it for customer advisory board meetings, cabs, user conferences, trying to drive your customers to your user conference by way of, you know, sending them a really cool kit or gift or uh, printed collateral. Even if you're trying to run customer webinars and, and educating them on, you know, a, a lunch and learn for a new product release saying, hey, uh, this is a lunch and learn. Here's a, a DoorDash gift card. Come for 30 minutes, lunch on us. So you'll learn about the new product release that we just released. So some of those things are like, hey, it's at that noon, I need lunch anyway. I'm kind of curious. You know, it's just enough willingness to come in and you could increase, you know, attendance. So what I usually see is companies will will try to figure out what are their leaky buckets or what are they're trying to optimize for. And then where can they layer on, you know, gifting as an avenue to drive better conversions or, or better outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really smart. And again, as we started this call, I just remind everybody that 
we are very much seen in the market over 80% of revenue is coming from the cross sell upsell. Yeah, well, yeah, the importance of driving that exposure is tantamount to company success right now. New customer acquisition is never being harder yeah. for a lot of companies and people are getting better and better at personalization, which is good. And I, I'm, I'm happy about that. But the personalization now needs a physical touch combined with a digital touch. So when we think, you know, six or 11 channels, depending on what research you're reading is what the advice is these days. I, you know, I think if you're not thinking of the physical channel, you're, you're going to miss out as well, Later. right? On the existing buyers. Now, budget, budget, budget. We've hit on a couple of times. Yeah. Look, we established the, the enabling budgets up. Okay. So that's good. So we hey. should be thinking of, of that budget. Marketing is holding pretty flat. Yeah. So maybe not as much coming there. And, and I suggest a lot of this often has come from that area. But now let's just talk to the sales leader because I think for some sales leaders, like, ah, you know, I'm not really sure. Yeah, fine. Send somebody something. But they're not really thinking this is the strategies we've said, the psychological techniques, the timing by sales stage. Like you should have, I would tell to our listeners, you Salesforce dynamics, I don't care which CRM you're using. You should have triggers. Yes. In certain stages that are saying, this is an action that needs to happen in this channel. Yes, exactly. Or as a step in an outreach or, you know, a sequence. 100%. Yeah. And so you can rinse or repeat it. You can report on it. Yeah. And you can track and maybe test. For CS leaders, same thing. They're yep. also living in the CRM system. You need a task in the CRM system that ties to account change activities or you're tying to loss aversion techniques or you're halfway through the contract cycle and you need to have something more than just, hey, let's go out and do the dinner, right? Or let's go do something like that. Like this is a way of engaging to drive the cross-sell upsell. The question comes out, how am I going to pay for all of this? Because physical is more expensive. We all know that. Yep. And I'm going to be mildly provocative here and I'm going to tie this into our trivia question, Chris. Okay. Okay, to answer our budget question. The bottom third of sales teams are responsible for how much of a company's total sales on average. Okay, so the bottom third of a sales team is responsible for how much of the total sales generated by that company on average. A, 4%. B, 9%. C, 17 plus percent. I'm going to go 9%. Good guess. Unfortunately, it's 4% is the statistical average. Around 4%. So we're talking a third. So you got 100 sellers. Your bottom 33 are only generating 4% of what the company needs. And I will tell you from Gardner, we always saw like the bottom third, the odd of a third becoming a top performer is is, is very unlikely. Yeah. Getting to the 50 percentile, 50 to 80 range, yeah, you can coach and train and improve something there. But there's still in a less than optimum return rate. So now we're talking, we've established growth out of existing businesses are key. Yeah, really? We know we need to drive the cross-sell upsell. Physical is expensive. I know it's hard for people to hear, but you have to look at the expense of that bottom third. I'm not suggesting get rid of it all, but you do have to look at that and say, in my scenario of 100 sellers in a company, 33, for the price of 10 which is going to be fully burdened close to, call it three, three and a half million dollars pretty easily. Could we not move mountains and cross-sell, upsell in that, in that scenario yeah. in a big way? 
I think we can. I think it requires a little bit of rethink of budget allocation as opposed to this solely coming from the world of marketing. I 100% agree. And I think there's other kind of budgets that could be overlooked and, and reallocated better, such as, you know, are your digital ads performing as good as they should? Or do you, should you test that in other channels? Or is your T&E budget as effective or can that be better used? So I think aside from, you know, pulling from like a headcount budget, there's other program spend or, or even other ancillary buckets of spend that can be a, a no-brainer to pull from and show better results at the end of the day, thus driving better revenue. Great, great advice. Chris, unfortunately, I'm out of time for this week, but it's been a pleasure having you on. Your insights around the world of physical as a channel to drive buyer engagement, I, I hope helps our listeners come up with some new ideas here going forward. So thank you so much for sharing the insights here. Like last time, I want to finish with a favorite moment, a moment you'd love to redo, Something that is you know, embarrassing or fun. I don't. <laughs> uh, and last time you had, for me at least, a heartwarming one of starting Sendoso was a huge thing. You actually wish you would have done it sooner and things like that. And I think you know the entrepreneur in all of us is let's go for it. But I'm going to ask you for one more moment. What's a moment that you'd love to talk about? Yeah. So I think meeting uh, my wife. Uh, she's been super supportive in my entrepreneur journey. So back to my last answer. I couldn't have done it without her. I know that a lot of CEOs take credit, founders take credit themselves, but I have to say my wife is equally uh, impactful on where I've been and where I'm going and has been kind of the behind the scenes helper in uh, in a lot of my decisions. So uh, meeting her is one of those moments that I cherish forever. Well, I think you're, you know, hopefully get a big hug for that one. <laughs> What's your wife's name? My wife's name is Andrea. Andrea. Well, and shout out to Andrea as well. Thank you for helping Andrea and, and Chris. You sound like a dynamic duo. You're building an awesome company. Keep at it. Thank you for everything you're doing that side. The insights here with everyone. And for our listeners, please remember to like and subscribe. Send your questions in to Howard and I. We will do our best to answer them on a future podcast episode. And thanks again for joining us here today. Chris, CEO of Sendoso, thank you. Thank you so much. See you later.